This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. As the Lord said in Matthew 10.8, Matthew 10.8, freely you have received, freely give, because the water of the word of the Lord is Jesus. He said, I am the life. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. He said in, in John 4.14, John 4.14, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So just as the plants need the water for life. It's all about life. For the, for the plants, we, we could call it, that's the water of life. No water, death. Water, life. So we read in Revelation 21.6, Revelation 21.6. He said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Revelation 22.1, Revelation 22.1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Revelation 22.17, Revelation 22.17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that is that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life. Then Moses, realizing these things, is now becoming an example. He says, I'm going to do this. I have received. I'm going to pass it on. He says in verse 3, I will publish the name of the Lord. He's saying, Moses is saying, I'm going to publish the name of the Lord. You know what's wonderful, so wonderful for us? We know the name of the Lord. We know the name of the Lord to publish. The name of the Lord is not the name. The name of the Lord is not Hashem, meaning the name. The name of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever my good Orthodox Jewish friends, refer to God as Hashem, which means the name. I always say to him, oh, I'm glad you do that. I'm glad you do that because you've just confessed to me you don't know his name. So you just call him the name. 
I said, but I'll tell you what his name is. He has a name. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the name that we should be making known, Jehovah Jesus. Reminds me of the, the time when I was um, late to a flight, uh, which was not uncommon. And I rushed onto the plane, out of breath, sweating. I sat down and said next to the person beside of me, thank the Lord that I made this flight. That's what I said. The man was this giant African-American. He was huge. With a deep voice, he leans over and he says to me, and who might that Lord be? <laughs> I felt about this tall. Squeaky voice, I looked up and said, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he said, all right now. <laughs> That's the name that we should be making known. Why? Because of Acts 4.12, Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's that name. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. What name? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the person that's going to be saved. Then Moses goes on in verse 3 and he says, Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. Verse 3. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. That's, that means it's not enough to just say that Jehovah Jesus has power. It's to say that he has great power. It's not enough to say he has mercy. It's to say he has great mercy. It's not enough to just say he loves. It's to say he greatly loves. That's what it means, verse 3. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. It also means to look at the food that we have, to look at the shelter that we have, to look at the clothes that we have, and not just to say God is a provider, but to say God is a great provider. Ascribe ye, first three, ascribe ye greatness to God also means to look at the salvation that we have that God has made for us in the Lord Jesus. And not just to say it's a salvation, but to use the words of Hebrews 2.3, Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Verse three, ascribe ye greatness to our God is to call salvation a great salvation. Verse three, Ascribe ye greatness to our God is to look at, look at nature, to look at majestic mountains and to see in those mountains the majesty of God and to say, God the creator is of great majesty. Verse three, ascribe ye greatness to God means to look at, look at the sky, look at the earth, to see the truth of Psalm 19.1, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork and from seeing the earth and the sky to say, those all reflect the greatness of our God. That's what's meant in verse 3, ascribe greatness to God. And then Moses says in verse 4, he's the rock. He is the rock. Now, there are several aspects of what a rock is. A rock is stable. A rock is stable. It doesn't move. The rock doesn't change. It's always there. It's a rock. And when we say that Jehovah Jesus is the rock, we mean he is our stability. He doesn't change. In Psalm 40, verse 2, Psalm 40, verse 2 says, 40, verse 2, he brought me up also of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock and established my goings. In Malachi, God told Israel, there's only one reason. There's only one reason why you still exist today. One time that question was asked of a czar in Russia. Someone came to the czar and said, what is the greatest evidence for God? And the czar said, the Jew. He should have been destroyed a long time ago. The Jew, 
he said, is the greatest evidence of God. Malachi 3.6, God was saying the saying essentially this to Israel. Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Why are we not consumed? Because of Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He's a rock. As the Lord said in Matthew 7.24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. A large rock is not only stable, but a large rock is something we appreciate right now. It gives shade. It gives shade. It gives shade from a deadly sun in the Middle East desert. And that's important. In Isaiah 32.2, Isaiah 32.2, It says, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. As the song says, Jesus is the rock in a weary land. Another thing a rock does is it provides higher ground. When there's a tsunami coming, if you can find a rock, a tall rock, get on it. Because the rock is not going to move. It's going to give you an escape from an overwhelming flood. It's a safety on the top of that rock says in Psalm 61.10, Psalm 61.10, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's why verse four calls, call, calls God the rock. And to our astonishment, when we think about this, we look back and we remember also in the books of Moses, there was a time when the rock was hit. God is the rock. Moses just said that God is the rock, and there was a time when the rock was hit. And after it was hit, water of life came out. Life-giving water came out, flowed from that rock. In Exodus 17, 6, Exodus 17, 6, Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock at Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, Just below in our chapter of Deuteronomy 32 and verse 13, we see that not only does the rock provide water, but also God says in verse 13, Deuteronomy 32, 13, he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. So the hard rock gave out the water that gave them life. After it was hit, it gave life to them. That was speaking of the time when the Lord Jesus was on the cross, when Jehovah Jesus accomplished, he finished, he he worked it out. He was successful in bringing redemption, bringing redemption. That was a great work on the cross. That was a great work the Lord Jesus cried out at the end of it. My work. He was speaking about his work, and he says, finished, accomplished, or as it is in Hebrew, asa, done, or made. The word asa means make, do, make. When he says, it is finished, he was saying, it is made. It didn't exist before, but I made it. I made the redemption. I made the atonement. That's a great work. That's why it says in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, his work is perfect. The redemption of the cross that brought us the water out of the rock was perfect. And then it says in verse 9, the Lord did such a perfect work of the cross that on the cross, he purchased us. He purchased Israel. He purchased the world. 
but only those in the world who become, as is stated in John 1.12, John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Become God's possession, sons of God. They are called in Deuteronomy 32.9, 32.9, the verse 9 of our chapter, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. You know, a portion is some part that a person claims is his own. That's my portion there. I just got a strawberry pie. Don't touch that slice. It's mine. That's my portion right there from uh, Marie Calendars. <laughs> they are his because he bought them. Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. They are his because he purchased them. They are his because he freed them. He freed them. Isaiah 61.1, Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. They're his because he released them from prison. Now, Israel, as I said, is the illustration for all believers and for all the whole world, for that matter, for what the Lord does for his children. Israel is God's illustration. Israel is God's flannel graph. Israel is God's chalkboard to teach, teach what he does for his own. So what we read about Israel in verse 10, verse 10, Deuteronomy 32.10, is that he said, he found him. God found Israel in a desert land, in a waste-howling wilderness. He led him about, instructed him, kept him as the apple of his eye. He found him. It's not man found God. It's God found man. Because the Lord Jesus found man because he was looking for man, as it says in Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man has come to look for man. It looks like, it looks like man found God. In John 1.41, John 1.41, it says, He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We found him. We found the Messiah, which is be interpreted the Christ. Sure looked that way to Philip. Philip findeth in John 1.45, John 1.45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But in reality, it's he, God, found him. In reality, yes, they found him, but only because God set himself there. As he pointed out in Isaiah 65.1, Isaiah 65.1, God said, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. Yeah, man found God because God put himself right in front of man. And then man could say, oh, I found him. It was very clear from the Garden of Eden after the fall of who made the first step. Genesis 3.8, Genesis 3.8. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? Man was running away from God, but God was running toward man. He found him. God says, I found him. I found him. I found him in verse 10 in a desert land. 
That's a description, that desert land, that waste-howling wilderness. That's a description of being utterly lost with a, in a godless life. That's the description there. Waste-howling wilderness. I don't even know what that sounds like, and I don't want to know. But it's very threatening. It's wild animals howling. It's the wind that's howling. It's, it's, it's very threatening. And God found him there, afraid, threatened, vulnerable. And the first thing he did is he led him about. He led him about. You know, it says in verse 10 that he led him about. That word is surrounded him. That's the Hebrew word. It means surrounded him. It's a description, surrounded him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, he says, when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things unto him, that God may be, and here it is, all in all. That God may be all in all. All in all is a description that Everywhere you turn is Jehovah Jesus. Everywhere you turn is Jesus. Everywhere you look, you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's all in all. That's the goal of our lives. We want that. We want him to be all in all. But the Lord Jesus cannot be all in all until a person sees that his life without God is a desert land and a waste howling wilderness. Lord, I don't know you. Lord, I don't have you in my life. And my life is like a desert. I'm like in a waste howling wilderness. I'm so threatened. And then it says, he cared for them. He took care of them with manna from the sky and water out of the rock. Manna from the sky. Manna from the sky. What is that manna from the sky? They certainly didn't know, the Jewish people. They still don't know. And what David said it was in Psalm 78.25, Psalm 78.25, man did eat angels' food. He sent them to eat meat to the full. It was angels' food. Nobody knew. It says in Deuteronomy 8.15, Deuteronomy 8.15, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water, and he brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. Never get over that. Never get over that. Water came out of a rock. A, a gushing river came out of that rock. You go to that rock and you would see the score marks of water that are coming off of that rock. But he surrounded them. He surrounded them. Just like it says in Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. And then he says he kept them as the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye, the eye, the eye is so vulnerable. It's protected. It's got the eyelid. It's got the eyebrows. It's got a bony structure that it's sunk into. It's, it's the center of the eye. And he says, he says, that's what Israel is to me. They're like the center of my eye. And then in verse 11, goes on, God goes on now to, to, to illustrate what he is to Israel with the eagle. The eagle, God says, let me have that bird. That eagle is going to illustrate what I do for my people. He says in verse 32, as the eagle stirreth up her nest, Fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. He says, first of all, the eagle stirreth up her nest. Why does he do that? Because it's time for those little eagles to get out of that nest and to fly. They're getting too comfortable in that nest. They're getting too content in that nest. It's time to get out. Egypt at the first was good, was nice. Land of Goshen, that's nice. I can get used to this. Best of the land there. Joseph taking care of him, that's nice too. But then God looked at that and says, no, no, no. I'm going to stir up the nest here. You are getting too comfortable in Egypt. you got to leave. So then all of a sudden, it turned out to be not so good anymore. Killing the babies, working them to death. What is that? People in Israel say, hey, what's going on here? What's going on here? Anybody who got ever heard of Joseph before? He's gone. 
That's God stirring up. The Lord woke them up in Egypt, stirred them up, and then sent them out of Egypt. The people came out of Egypt for the promised land, but the people were clearly not ready for Canaan. Canaan was ready for them, but they were not ready for Canaan. So what did he do? He fluttered over them like an eagle. He spread abroad his wings. What's that all about? What eagles do, it's very interesting. What eagles do is they teach their young to fly by getting over the nest and flapping their wings like that. See, little guys, this is what you got to do. You got it? They they teach them that way. And so that's what it was all about in the desert. In the desert, it was was God through Moses, through the tabernacle, through the the law, fluttering his wings. said, this is how you guys got to fly. This is how you guys got to walk with God. This is how you guys got to be righteous in your walk. This is how you got to be sanctified, see? Now, of all the birds, the eagle is probably the most affectionate. He's the most affectionate because the eagle studies its young, and one thing you never want to mess with is a nest of eagles. That eagle will come after you and tear you apart with its beak and its talons. Very, very dangerous if any animal or any person gets near its young. He attacks. And then, again, when the eagle returns to the nest with food, she flutters her wings again. She flutters her wings. And she teaches by that the baby eagles to associate food with flight. Food with flight. So that the the little babies get the idea, I'm not going to eat unless I fly. And then the eagles will then fly over their nests. They'll do like flybys. They fly over their nest to get their young. Again, you see how this is done? And then the eagle will take one young at a time, one little eagle at a time, put it on her back, and soar through the sky just to say, wasn't that great? Wasn't that neat? Isn't that exciting? You want to be able to do that on your own? I don't know what the little eagle says, but anyway, she doesn't have a choice. And then, to the horror of the little eagle, the, the eagle will then flip the bird off. He'll drop him off, and the bird will either fly, but then the, the young eagle... The mother said, that's okay. And then she comes right underneath it, and it lands again on her back. That's all done. That's what's meant when the Lord says in Psalm 34, 7, Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but I might drop you off my back for a little while. You might be falling through the sky thinking that you're going to be smashed, but I'll be there. I'll pick you up. I'll lift you up because the eagle has strength. That's what we think of when we think of the eagle. Strong bird, strong strength of an eagle. And God says, I want you to look at that eagle. I want you to learn from that eagle what you will experience if you just wait on me. Just wait on me, he says in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run, not be weary, walk, not faint. These are just all some of the things that we learn from this passage here to ascribe greatness to our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being so wonderful, for your tender side, for your loving side. Lord, we pray that uh, we might please you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.